Hello there, Fellowship family. Welcome to your one-stop shop for all things church life. My name is Mark Francis, and again, I'm your host for today here on this podcast channel. It's exciting because this is interview number three leading up to our big celebration on September 6th. So if you're listening to this and you have not participated in our worship service on September 6th yet, get ready because it's going to be exciting. There's going to be all kinds of people there, hopefully. COVID friendly. Don't don't mind gathering. We'll be socially distanced. Um, food trucks, giveaways, fun people being a part of the worship time, and more importantly, celebrating what God has done over the course of 40 years here at FBC. And here with me today um, to enhance this celebration is Don and Lisa Williams. And I want to introduce you guys as, and first of all, thank you for being a part of this. We're excited to hear your story because I know you have a lot of things to share. So, Lisa, how are you? I'm doing well. Good. It's the middle of the week. Middle of the week. Still upright, standing. Yeah. It's yeah. been, for, for me, every day is just one day at a time. You know, it just yes. it, you wake up, you do it, you live life, and you get tired, and you go to bed, and do it all over again. But that's okay. Right. Yeah. Right. And Don? How are you? I'm doing well. We started cross country season, so I coached down at RMA. And I RMA the, stands for Randolph Macon Academy. Yeah. Okay. And so I run with the kids every day. So being out in 90 degree heat, running three to four wow. miles a day, uh, I'm a little whipped right now. Wow. So I'll try not to fall asleep. While and you're talking. probably whipping those kids right into shape, right? You know, it's keeping just, them going. It's amazing how a 62 year old man can outrun 16 and 17 year olds. <laughs> That's impressive. I love it. So. More in shape than the rest of us around here. And uh, and you can teach us in the ways of endurance and training, right? I mean, so my son actually is doing cross country also. Oh. And, and he is out there in the 90 degree weather as well. And I'll be honest with you, I, I couldn't do it. I mean, it is hot and humid and sticky. And I'll go, you know, half a block away with my dog. I'm like, all right, it's time to come home. Let's turn around, get back in the air conditioning. So more power to you. Yeah. Well, we're here to kind of get to know you guys. So it, the, the idea of these conversations is to hopefully encourage you guys who are listening and to give you some little tidbits and, and insider information in the life of FBC as well. But really, what has God been doing through the life of our church over these last 40 years, but more importantly, the life of the people? And, and you guys are an important component to that as you've been coming and going here in FBC. So start just from the beginning. You know, I'll let Lisa, you kind of tell your story. Tell me what it looks like, because from what I hear, you were really here in the very beginning as a teenager. Is that right. true? Right. So I would have been 16, maybe approaching 17. I would have been in high school. And I recall babysitting for <laughs> uh, the Robinsons and the Richardsons and the Tellops, the, um, the, those early families, and uh, Margaret Richardson and I were talking just the other day. And so we were one of the first 10 families that signed, um, <laughs> I was a Hudson at the time, signed to commit to starting a fellowship Bible church here in this area. So, I mean, you were 16. You probably didn't remember too much, but what does that mean? What did you, what did, what was signed? Like, what, So there was, was an original Bible study of the four couples that I mentioned and the Syrians as well. And then my parents got involved with the Bible study uh, as it continued and it, the church started being formed. 
And they needed 10 families to commit to starting Fellowship Bible Church because it's um, it's not your average you know, name and denomination, you have an idea of what they're going to look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fellowship does it a little differently in the way they do elder rule and non-denominational. Well, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And so my parents were our family, but my parents were the first 10 families that actually signed. So to date this, we're talking that very, very early mm-hmm. year, 1980. That's the right. place that you're talking. Right, because yeah. I graduated in 81. Okay. Um, I recall the very first Fellowship Bible Church uh, official meeting, uh, worship service. Wow. It was at Abe's Essence House. Okay. Louise Cox played this wheezy, old-sounding um, organ, but we had music. An organ in Abe's Essence House. Yeah, what, what was is that a restaurant? It was a restaurant okay. that's no longer there. Right. But there was a side room, and it was a small little organ. And they had an organ in there, a or did small she bring one. one? Wow. I don't know if she brought it, but it was there. Okay. And uh, we gathered and had our first worship service, and I remember Neat. that. Neat. Made a, a huge impression on me, and then we eventually moved to Apple Pie Ridge Elementary School. I believe that might be when they called or, or um, brought Harry Adams as the first pastor. And probably eighty-one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, if you were there from the very beginning and you at that first worship service, mm-hmm. what previous church experiences had you had leading up to that, and what made it? unique and memorable for you. Right. Uh, Well, Dad, when I was third grade, had felt called to go to Bible college. Mm -hmm. So we all went to Bible college for four years, third through seventh grade. But then he didn't feel particularly led to be a full-time pastor or go into missions. Went back to his um, workplace in computers and did a lot of Bible studies. But they ended up being a part of three church plants and fellowship is one of them. Right. God used him in two other church plants. And so I just recall, you know, being in Bible college, you know, Mount Tabor Baptist Church, and then coming out of Bible college and trying to figure out where do we go from here. And then we ended up in Winchester with dad's job. Okay. And uh, attended some churches here. And my mom knew Margaret Richardson, I believe, through Christian Women's Club. Hmm. And that's where that connection came from. Hmm. Now, we have been accumulating over these last several weeks and even months artifacts and memorabilia here at FBC. And I've been told that there's something in our library right now that people are going to be able to see that is a bulletin Mm -hmm. of one of those first services. Does that ring a bell to you? Give well, me a little tidbit about the the creation of that bulletin. Right. They had wanted a drawing for the bulletin. Uh-huh. So I drew the picture that's on the front of that bulletin. Wow. And they chose the verse Psalm 133. Is it one? How good and how pleasant yeah. it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And that's what they wanted on the front of the bulletin. So hmm. I don't know how long they used those, but Yeah. That's neat. And are, would you call yourself an artist? I, I do enjoy doing art. Yeah. Um, you know, artists are always critical of their work, but uh, I like drawing and painting and faux finishing and wall murals and whatever. Neat. So little tips out there, guys. When you come and see this exhibit, look for that first bulletin and you can see Lisa's handiwork as a 16-year-old, I guess. I guess I was in high school. That's pretty cool. Must have been. Must have been 16. Yeah. Yep. Somewhere in there. So, Don, kind of give us your background to, to all this. Kind of 
I think you might have met Lisa a few years after that. Kind of share kind of how you guys met. Well, if you want to kind of start with the whole background side of things, I grew up in the Methodist church. Okay. Um, you know, the Methodists have a church on every corner, so a right. corner around the street from where I live, there was a Methodist church there, yep. and, and that's where I uh, accepted Christ as my Savior. And uh, my parents, we actually moved away uh, when I was 13. I accepted Christ when I was nine, moved away at 13. Went to college at Shenandoah University, hmm. and because it's a Methodist school, hmm. they had a program so the musicians could actually go out and work in the churches and get a supplement uh, scholarship, so to speak. So I ended up back at my home church, Montague Avenue United Methodist, as the music director huh. um, for two years, and then I continued it as I started teaching. And that teaching role is where I came to meet Lisa. Okay. Uh, if you back up one year, I was actually a year of grad school in JMU, and Lisa was a rising junior that year. And I was down there, and she went to drum major camp uh, with my old uh, high school band. Okay. And I was telling her the other day, she said, well, did you notice me then? I said, no, you were too scrawny. You were oh. a scrawny little 16-year-old. <laughs> um, but I was still there the following year working on my graduate degree. And she came back with the band again, and I was talking to my old band director, and I said, well, who's the drum major? And he pointed to Lisa and said, oh, that's her. She was the same one last year. I said, no, that's not the same one from last year. She had kind of A little year, one year older, huh? Uh -huh. Yeah. (laughs) So um, later that summer, I actually ended up taking a job at Frederick County Middle School, and Mr. Shamla asked if I would come up and help with the marching band. Okay. I had a free period. So I ended up going to band camp, and I thought, oh, that drum major is there. Nice. <laughs> so I kind of kept an eye on her through her senior year. Um, and it was, I had gotten contacts in the spring, and she came bouncing into the band room one day and stopped in front of me and said, oh, Mr. Williams, what pretty blue eyes you have. <laughs> And at that point... I was raised very naive, yeah. very conservative. Yeah. Girls did not call boys. And uh-huh. he was Mr. Williams, my teacher. Yeah. But he did have really big blue eyes. So <laughs> the, the whole meeting and greeting plan started to form in my mind. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was uh, when graduation time came, I thought, well, you know, she's graduating. I'll send her a nice graduation card. And I did sign it, Mr. Williams. Yep. You know, it was nice and official and professional. Yep. But then I was afraid that um, I hadn't noticed that she had any boyfriends during the course of the year. So I wanted to make sure there's no boyfriends kind of come into the scene. So I started sending her postcards from the mountains because I was doing a vacation camping. Hmm. It was the and beach first. The beach first. Mm-hmm. That's, and then so I was at the beach and then the mountains. So I kept sending her two weeks worth of postcards. And somewhere along the line, she kind of started figuring out that it was me. And, uh, not just Mr. Williams. Not just but Mr. Oh, he Williams. he signed a Don. Don, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Graduated with 600 people. Yeah. But he signed a Don. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Who's that? And her mom finally started to catch on. I think she said, Lisa, you better tell me about this, this Mr. Williams guy. So when I came back, I called her to see if she would go out with me. But she wouldn't go out because she had to work. And I thought, okay, let's slow this down a little bit. How about just come to see me play church league softball? Oh, oh, So she and her parents came to watch me play a church league softball game. Got to show off the softball skills. Yes. And then uh, she did agree to go out with me on July 2nd. And uh, from there, it kind of... Moved along. Uh, six months later, we were engaged. And, a and year July later, 2nd we were, of what year? 
this would have been 81. Okay. Yeah, she graduated in in June, early June. In July, we had our first date. And by December 2011, December 11th, I asked her to marry me. Wow. That is, hey, that is God's hand and God's timing. Well, putting it all together, when and you here say you are. That, it is interesting because Lisa's mom had been praying for a man to come along for her. A friend. Yeah. A friend. A friend. A man friend. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, so. that's all part of God's plan. And so if you got engaged in December, and then when was the wedding? July 2nd. Okay. So the, the very, very next same day year. of same the next day. year. His I love it. That was my idea. Of course. I, say, I could never forget our first date or our anniversary because it's the same date. Excellent. <laughs> You're romantic. I love it. Lesson for all the guys out there. No dates, yeah. right? <laughs> well, I will say that I was planning on asking her to marry me on Valentine's Day. But I'll use her word. I became so besotten with her. Besotted. <laughs> besotted with yes. her. I just, it just came out one night. We were watching TV, and I hadn't even had a chance to ask her dad if it was okay that I asked her for her hand in marriage and the whole work. So, wow. Well, we have already revealed one little fun fact trivia quiz in our Sermon Spotlight podcast this past um, a week ago. And I just wanted to let you guys know that you are trivia quiz extraordinaires okay. because that wedding that you're saying is July 2nd, does it have significance to the life of Fellowship Bible Church? It does. We were actually the first couple married by the first pastor, Harry Adams. Uh-huh. Um, unfortunately, you know, we weren't in a church building then. Right. So we mm-hmm. had to use Stephen City United Methodist Church to hold the ceremony. Um, but we did the... Uh, the counseling with Harry and then uh-huh. Lisa mm-hmm. was saying, what do you remember about that? I said, I remember one question and one question only. Harry was really concerned about how the chores were going to be divvied up. Really? Yep. Wow. Okay. And I kind of looked at him and said, well, you know, whoever sees something needs to be done, will do it. And he says, oh no, that doesn't work. And I was like, why won't that work? He says, because whoever's doing the most chores will get irritated that the other one's not pulling their share. So you've got to divide up the chores, who does what, when, when, how, and all that stuff. And it was like the only thing I ever remember about the the And did it work? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, we kind of have our assigned jobs. Um, (laughs) And unspoken jobs. Yes, and unspoken jobs. Um, I turned the fan off for you when I went upstairs today. Awesome. Yeah. Keeping, I love it. Well, congratulations on this many years of marriage and being a part of our body here at Fellowship Bible Church. 38 years. 38 years. That is impressive. And, and you know, you, you can see God's hand. And just even hearing a story of how a young couple comes to, to know each other and, and, and how God was a part of that. So you were obviously attending Fellowship Bible Church at that time, Lisa. Right. Don, were you kind of officially then a part of FBC at that time? No. I was still doing the music at Montague Avenue. Okay. And somewhere in the summer when we started dating, Lisa kept saying, you need to come to my church. You need to come to my church. And I kept thinking, there's no way because I'm doing the music. So I figured out there was one Sunday that we had, I think, a special thing going on. I said, okay, I'll come. And it was at Apple Pie Ridge in the music room. Mm -hmm. And... uh, Several things caught my attention that day, and it was kind of like, okay, so this is how you do church. Hmm. Because I had never heard um, 
a sermon that actually when you read the Bible scripture, you actually talked about the scripture mm. and, and what it meant. Mm-hmm. Um, the Methodist Church are all about topics. So right. you can have a Old Testament, New Testament scripture, but it has nothing to do with the sermon. So that was the first thing that caught my attention because I thought, this is really cool. Mm. I like this. Um, the second part of it, the second hour, you had a, a conversation with the pastor about the things, about mm. the sermon. So you could mm-hmm. ask him any questions that you wanted. Uh, you could even talk about last week's sermon or whatever. Wow. Yeah. And I thought, okay, that is really cool. <laughs> yep. Because how often you get to actually quiz the pastor or ask right. more about it. Right. Um, and the other thing that caught my attention is that came the prayer time and um, all of a sudden I'm sitting there, you know, with my eyes closed, my head bowed and thinking, okay, this is, I never had this kind of long a prayer time. Mm. And all of a sudden people started praying out loud. Mm. And I thought, oh no, I'm in a Pentecostal meeting or something <laughs> like that. Because Lisa had never told me about this praying business. Yeah. So yeah. it caught me completely off guard. So I was a little like, okay, I'm not quite sure about this. Um, but the sermon series, the way that was going, and the way that um, you could ask questions afterwards mm-hmm. really got mm. my attention. It was like, um, okay, what am I going to do with this? Yeah. And the more I thought about it, it was like, you need to be at this church. Mm. And so I resigned uh, about two months later and started attending. Mm. Uh, fellowship at that point, and we had grown a little bit that we were actually meeting in the gymnasium there at Apple Power Ridge right. at that point. And, right. Um, so it was a special time for me. And uh, even those first nine years, I guess, that we had, I attended, because these have been longer, um, just watching things, how it changed and grew, mm-hmm. I mean, did a, did a lot for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I learned a lot. I really became interested in studying the Bible. Mm-hmm. And it carried on even when we moved to Christiansburg into the Baptist church we moved into. And even when we came back, hmm. uh, Lisa's father had started another church. And uh, we ended up going there because at that point, the church uh, hadn't built a new auditorium and everything. Right. And it was like 300 people crammed in like sardines into this one wing uh, that they the had seams. added on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we came back and visited. Yeah. And so... Just putting a pause there, so I, I hear what you're saying is that you were here for the first kind of nine years or so, and then you left, and then you've come back to FBC since then. Yes. But I'm, I'm curious about those first nine years still, and kind of what, how did you guys grow individually and grow as a couple in those kind of early years of being a part of FBC? Uh, I mean, I hear you really emphasizing teaching and community and prayer. So how did... How did you get plugged in to that life of the church to allow you to grow? Right. Well, we were encouraged to, we did a Bible study together while we were dating. And then we were in Ed and Connie King's home. Mm-hmm. We can't remember the study we were talking about at dinner tonight, but with other couples. But we think they were married, but we were part of a group, mini church, community group, whatever you want to call sure. it. But we were part of a Bible study. Um, and then, you know, after getting married, I did what I consider the very first ministry I've ever been a part of in a church, and that was with the nursery, hmm. which is where it is now, where the two-year-olds yeah. are. Yeah. Um, and that um, grew me. I saw the first um, church disagreement through that ministry about diapers. Wow. Okay. Um, Bob Harriman, who had just a great sense of humor, called it Diapergate, 
And <laughs> so I learned that it's good to laugh in yeah. the middle of all that and be able to work through conversations as a church body. Uh, so, you know, kind of did the, the diapers thing for a while. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, I'm fast forwarding to now I do discipleship. I yeah. like the two Ds. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but that really grew me, Neat. being a part of my first ministry as it fell at So here. just finding a connection with other people. Right. Um, community and group. Community groups and growing during the course of the week right. is what I hear as a consistency. That was even, I mean, we, yeah. we look for that here in our church mm-hmm. today, and you can see that it was existing 40 years ago. Oh, yes. That the, the solid teaching and the call to get connected and further grow mm-hmm. during the course of the week with others um, is vital, right? And you mentioned the dinner groups we were talking not long ago. Yeah, I mean, we were part of a mini church, but then um, they they were afraid that um, people were going to get locked in to that same group of people and you'd never expand out. Mm-hmm. So they came up with this idea of, uh, of supper groups. So every month um, they would put you in a new supper group, and once during the month you would have a dinner together at somebody's house. Hmm. Everybody brings something, you know, and yep. it was kind of like a big potluck, but they changed it. And they would, they, I guess it was for about a year they did that to make sure every, you, you kind of circulated and you got to meet a, uh, cool. a whole lot of mm-hmm. folks, as well as the many churches continuing to go on. So that was kind of a yeah. neat idea. That uh, And then the you told me about that cantata that they asked you to do. Yeah, yeah, I did the first cantata here. The first cantata? The first cantata. Well, do you remember what year that might have been? 80, I'm thinking it's like 84. Okay. Uh, we were in this building and... Uh, the original footprint. The original footprint of the building. Sure, yeah. And um, Bob Harriman was doing the Christmas Eve message that night. And they asked me a few weeks out if I could put together something special for that. So we kind of pulled up. Uh, I found a little Christmas cantata. It was basically Christmas carols. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had little readings in between. So the whole thing lasted maybe 12, 13 minutes. I mean, it wasn't long. Um, and Bob Harriman did the message that yeah. night. And at the, the very last song, I, um, I had scheduled us to do um, Go Tell on the Mountain. Hmm. And Bob's sermon was all about Go Telling It on the Mountain. And we hadn't talked. And after the cool. service, he came up and said, how did you know to do that song? Yeah. Did you just pull it out right then? I said, no, it was yeah. actually planned. Yeah. I said, God works. And that was Charlie Richardson's big thing um, back when this church early started. He said, yeah, there's no coincidence. Absolutely. You're sitting beside talking to yeah. how things, God plans it all. There's no coincidence when it comes to God. Yeah. So. Well, I'm being in the worship team right now for myself and being a part of the worship planning, mm-hmm. we, we are attempting to be intentional. However, there are so many moments where that same story pops out. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I did not hear that particular phrase of that song until I heard Mark teach on it. And then it pops in my mind. It's just amazing Mm -hmm. how God can like use what might seem to be unplanned songs or scripture readings or a prayer or then the sermon to apply. Man, that just hits me right in my own heart. And I'm like, I was even a part of those plans and I didn't see that coming, you know? And so it's amazing to know that God is a part of even the planning or the not planning Mm -hmm. of, of our lives. Right. And Margaret and Charlie being giving, um, offered for us to go to the cabin in Asheville. Oh, Mm. well, above Asheville, that eight-sided cabin for our honeymoon. Wow. That's where we honeymooned. 
and was in the cabin in, in you know just outside of Asheville. Now that is small church right there. Just yes. having the friends to say, "Yep, you can just right go break away and mm-hmm. use our place." And there you go. That's cool. So fast forward. So you so you you moved out of Winchester. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of just walk me through that real briefly, and then what brought mm-hmm. you back here to FBC? Uh, the move was I was ready to have my own program. Mm. And, band director. Uh, as a band, band director, director right. Yeah. So uh, a job came open in Christiansburg. I went down and interviewed for it. And I think even before I got home, they had already called and asked Lisa to have me call. So we moved down there for uh, six and a half years. Um, what brought us back was um, there was a job that came open at Cincinnati Red Elementary School. And Lisa really wanted to come home. Hmm. Um, so I interviewed thinking, I was a high school administrator by that point, and I interviewed to kind of satisfy her need for me to do that, <laughs> uh-huh. and never thought that I would end up getting called. Well, the same thing happened before I even got back to Christiansburg. Hmm. They had already called her and asked me to call them about it, hmm. uh, offered me the job. And again, this is how God works in strange ways. Um, the super, assistant superintendent quoted the wrong price to me, hmm. the salary. salary. And a few days later, he called back and said, I made a mistake. This is a salary. Can you still, will you still come? $10,000 less, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was a substantial amount of money. Yeah, wow. And it was a big pay cut going from a high school administrator to an elementary administrator. Right, right. And then that on top of it, you know, I kept telling Lisa, I said, we just, we're, we can't do it. Winchester's cost of living is higher. The housing market was much higher. I said, just no way we can do that. And she said, um, I've been praying about this. I think it's what we need to do. I'll babysit. Hmm. And I said, okay, if you think that's what we need to do, then hmm. let's go for it. You know, we trusted God to hmm. take care of us and he did. He made everything, it were all worked out. And uh, it was a good thing because we moved back in January. January of 96. 96. Okay. Uh, 12 months later, Lisa was diagnosed with a brain tumor hmm. and had surgery. And uh, we had her family here to hmm. help uh, run her up and down the road. We were going to UVA for radiation and chemotherapy. So I would take her on Mondays to meet the doctor and her parents were here. And her mom drove her up and down uh, 81 to 64 to Charlottesville for six weeks worth of radiation mm-hmm. and chemotherapy. So hmm. uh, God brought us back at the right time. Wow. So, Well, I know, Lisa, you have shared your story about that to FBC, and there's a video log of it somewhere on the FBC media page you can go look out. But just give me a brief taste of how you saw God through that situation in your life. Well, it was quite a surprise. It was just a noise in my ears that sent me to a doctor who basically told me after, you know, a blood draw, well, you know, it was so nebulous. She couldn't nail it down. She said, well, maybe, um, you know, maybe you just need to get out more. I was a stay-at-home mom. Hmm. And um, at that time, we had visited fellowship, but felt like uh, God wanted us to worship and serve at Faith Baptist, uh, another you know, church plant, Don mm-hmm. already mentioned. And so um, I said, well, what about going to a neurologist? Because I'd started migraines 10 nights in a row, and I didn't have migraines prior to that. And she said, well, they'll all tell you something different. So my mom encouraged me in particular, just go find out. And uh, Dr. Shepard, um, who knew Jesus, 
he believed me. Hmm. We waited a, a month, and then I went back, and he said, well, let's just do an MRI and make sure you have something up there in your brain. And so we went that day for my MRI. I was supposed to go alone, but there had been a nice storm. And so Don, being an educator, public educator, schools were closed, and he went with me. And God had put us down the street from my parents, and that's a whole other part of the story hmm. that is God's hand in it. So the children, who at the time were age 2, 9, and 12, went to Grandma and Granddaddy's. Don went with me to that appointment. And the um, technician who did the MRI said, well, just go back to the waiting room, and there'll be somebody to talk with you. And we just thought that's how they do it. And so they called the on-call surgeon, and he came and sat down and told us, the brain tumor on my left front lobe was the size of my hand. Wow. And um, we needed to do something right away about it. It was a Thursday right. evening. And so because of the ice storm, the hospital beds were all full. He couldn't even admit me. He pulled me off in a, a, cordon, a cornered, a curtained room to examine me quickly and put me on some medications to prepare me for um, a Monday surgery. And he told me, there's no room at the inn. Hmm. Those were his words. Hmm. So I got to go home, um, tell that difficult news to my parents who'd already lost a son in a car accident, my brother, hmm. um, to our children. <laughs> and yet um, that Sunday morning to be with the church family and feel led to share my testimony of of coming to know Jesus as a little girl and then realizing he was also my Lord and leader of my life as a teen. Um, it was just like all of the Holy Spirit that is within all of us just was magnified. But I, I will tell you that surgery was Monday. Uh, I remember being very anxious, being up several times that night, but at seven in the morning, there was a peace that overwhelmed me, and I found out that our family, church family in Christiansburg, hmm. were praying hmm. at that time. And so moved through those few days and then got to come home to what would then await me later to be the radiation and four months later, chemotherapy. Yeah. And I clearly remember on the way home from the hospital, the day was sunny, sky was blue with a few clouds, and I just looked up out of the the window from the car and I said why God and he said for my glory hmm. and so in that circumstance um, through moving through that I came to know God in a way that I would have not I didn't know him before that shadow under the wings hmm. that intimacy what were the the prognosis of the doctors of the right. time. So they couldn't decide if it was, you know, at a grade four for cancer, if it was a grade three, two and a half or three, um, the recommendations were do nothing. It was, um, it's called, it's benign because it won't metastasize anywhere else in my body. Mm -hmm. I could tell you the long name, but you know, we want to know that long name. Um, but it's a com combination of a slow growing and an aggressive growing tumor. And so something needed to be done, and the surgery could only remove down to about golf ball size. Okay. It was embedded without tentacles. So um, it was either radiation or chemotherapy or both at the same time or nothing. Hmm. And so you went into the four-month treatment plan? Um, so we, we interviewed doctors here, and then we went to UVA and interviewed um, my doctor there, Dr. Larner, 
and chose to go to UVA primarily because um, they could do things there as a teaching hospital that we couldn't hear at that time. Mm-hmm. He and also had lots of experience with this type of tumor where mm-hmm. the oncologist here in Winchester had done maybe two or three of these. This guy right. had done like 30 of them, so mm-hmm. he was way more familiar right. with them. Mm-hmm. An oligodendroglioma hmm. mixed with an astrocytoma. Okay, so that's the official. That's the official. Okay, you're, you're making all the medical people happy now right. to get the real terms yeah. out there. There you go. And, and so he had a lot of experience. They had a tumor board that reviewed your MRIs. Uh, he was a double major in radiation and chemotherapy, so we chose radiation mm-hmm. and did that, which that ended mid-April, my favorite time of year, mm-hmm. spring, and then four months later, we had um, I had some cell uh, activity show up in an MRI. Mm-hmm. So we I did almost four rounds of chemotherapy. Wow. I'm reminded of the song, Blessed Be Your Name, where the the line says, you give and take away, yes. but my heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. Mm-hmm. So, Don, in those moments, like, where was your mind? Mm-hmm. How, are, how are you adapting to this news and this kind of, uh, you know, change of life where Lisa's hand, her life was in God's hands, essentially? Well, Lisa will tell you that I'm the practical one mm-hmm. of the two. So my first thoughts are, if I'm going to lose my wife, how am I going to take care of the kids? Hmm. So I started thinking about all those ways, um, what I would need to do. But as we got closer to the day of the surgery, um, I just knew it was going to turn out okay. Hmm. I, I can't tell you that God spoke to me in any direct way or anything, but I just knew it was going to turn out okay. But even when we got the news that there was some still activity in the uh, the little golf ball piece that was there, um, we started the chemotherapy. There was never any hesitation that we do the chemotherapy, and right. it was going to be okay. And uh, I couldn't, f- I don't know, I can't say I focused on the negative side of things. I kept seeing that God's going God's to bring us out of this. Um, and even through you know the the traveling back and forth and, and meeting with the doctors, um, I never kind of lost it. I always felt God was always there. And you know we talk about um, the footprints and the sand that there's only one set of footprints, yeah. and that's when God's yeah. carrying us. Yeah. And I didn't know that when that that or a poem very well, and somebody shared it with me. Um, and I said, you know, God must have been carrying me a lot during that time because I never felt. Uh, other than the first night, I mean, Lisa will tell you she can probably count on one finger the number of times I've cried <laughs> since we've been married, and that was the night. Yeah. Um, but I never felt this overwhelming dread or anything like that. I always had this feeling that God was going to work it all out. Well, that's a uh, testament to, obviously, your, your hope and faith in Christ and the Spirit working through you to have that peace. And that's, that's true peace. That's not like mm-hmm. worldly peace, but the mm-hmm. peace and the comfort and the hope. And, and that things are going to be okay, but the okay perspective from a worldly view is, yeah, that she's going to be alive and over and get through it. But okay can also mean for many other people in circumstances mm-hmm. that it doesn't work out right. and still God is good and still he'll be glorified and still things will be okay. Music it's, comforted you. Yeah. It, Music was your comfort. And I was doing the music program at 
the church they were mm. attending at that point. Yeah. And right. uh, there was a, a time after choir practice that after everybody left, I would just stay up there, turn the lights out, and just pray. Mm. And again, that, that whole sense of peace just kept coming time after time after time. And um, the hard part about that is, like Lisa mentioned, the tumor board. So at first, every three months, we'd back for an MRI to make sure that, and Lisa, you know, for her, it was, it was hard for her because the anxiousness would come, the worry. I always had this sense that it's going to be okay. It's going to, and we kept going back and back, and sure enough, every time, doctor said, no activity, hmm. no activity, no activity. Hmm. Um, and that we don't go me. anymore. Yeah. That was 22 years ago. Wow. Yeah. And That's great. God invited God. me to know him. So I did Liberty University long distance learning, and he preserved my memory in such a way, even though I had radiation to the brain, that I graduated with honors. Hmm. But God used that circumstance in my life, I think, to prepare me for fast-forwarding where I am now in ministry here at Fellowship. Yeah, you're jumping right to my next question. That's exactly what I'm thinking. So here you are now. So you came back to FBC Mm -hmm. a few years after that. And what did that experience and all of your life experiences for both of you lead you to where you are serving now Mm -hmm. and engaged in the body, but people's lives? So what what does that look like for you right now? Now, currently, I, um, I'm a part of the counseling, lay counseling ministry here at church, and um, I work part-time as the women's counseling supervisor. So mm-hmm. I not only get to walk alongside of women who are, I'm just a few steps ahead of them. Right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, all the years that, that God used from doing diapers, you know, in a, a ministry and nursery to, you know, eventually doing some facilitating. And we taught four and five-year-olds in Christiansburg together. And you did youth. I, yeah, I taught with youth and went through some life experiences. To get to fellowship a little over 10 years ago, hands empty. Um, I felt like fellowship allowed us time to figure out what God had in mind. I didn't feel pressured or pushed. You didn't either. And I attended a learning center class that had to do with mentoring. And I'm like, well, great. I Hmm. love meeting girls for, you know, a dessert coffee because I'm not into the caffeine, just the sugar. (laughs) And um, showed up, and it was about way more than that. It was purposeful. It was counseling in a way that provides assignments and homework so that their experience with God during the week, that's what it's about. It's not a magic hour Hmm. with whomever is counseling with them. And so knowing by the end of that Learning Center class, hmm. God's calling me to do and be a part of this, and this is way beyond you yeah. know, who I am and what I could ever do to then eventually not even be looking for being a part of a ministry in a part-time paid position, God opened that door too. And that's God chiseling each one of us right? to form us and shape us into right. what He wants us to be. 30 years ago, you probably never would have imagined that you're counseling and discipling people in this way. No. And I get to encourage counselors, and I get to do a host of other things in that part-time job. Mm-hmm. And uh, what a privilege. Yeah. Another neat thing that kind of happened when Lisa went to this class, um, we were looking for a ministry to do together because we had kind of gone our separate ways again in the mm-hmm. church doing it. And that happens. It just sure. happens sometimes. Yeah. 
But all of a sudden, uh, we discovered this whole pre-marriage counseling. Hmm. And we kept thinking, you know, everything we've been through, um, <laughs> Christ has always been that's that foundation that kept us yeah. together through the thick yeah. and the thin times. The glue, and, the glue. and I said, you know, this might be a good couples ministry for us to work in. So we jumped into the... Yeah. To the the deep end of the pool as marriage counselors and that's awesome. you know, worked pre-marriage, with, yeah. pre-marriage, yeah, and worked with several young couples. And did Cute. you give them the same advice that Harry g- gave you? No, so, okay, I did no. not go down that road. <laughs> <laughs> the first couple, uh, we had to call John and say, "Would you come and meet with all of us?" <laughs> because we needed a little bit of come alongside us from John Morrison. But like you um, said, you're only maybe, like you said, a couple steps ahead of somebody else. Right. And, and even if you're at the same level of somebody else, that, that mm-hmm. doesn't need to prevent you from no. from listening, participating, engaging them, and pointing them to Christ in any conversation right. that you have. But fellowship provided um, the opportunity, the equipping, hmm. you know, particularly through John Morrison, since that's the ministry that he's uh, involved in. You know, but gave time, gave us time.